0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the John Meyer Podcast. Today's topic is ProsperOps, the journey to $1 billion in AWS compute spend under management. Today, we're talking with the three co-founders of ProsperOps and how this is even possible. Now, a quick note, unfortunately, Chris Keel is unable to make it today, but we're going to give him a quick introduction. You know, Chris is also a co-founder and chief technology officer at ProsperOps, a husband and father of two, and a barbecue connoisseur. Actually, I know another person on this podcast is also into barbecue, but we're going to get to that shortly. We're talking with Chris Cochran, who is a co-founder and CEO of ProsperOps, a husband and father of two humans and one great dame. And last up, but not least, Eric Carlin, who is also the co-founder and chief product officer at ProsperOps, a husband and father of six and a time-starved outdoorsman. And I think he has some things to say about uh, barbecue. Please join me in welcoming Chris and Eric to the show. Chris, Eric, thank you for joining me.
1: Hey, John, good to be with you.
0: Um, great to be back on. Yeah, Eric, thanks for joining me again. Chris, you and I had a chance to meet in person in Austin a couple of months ago, so this is relatively back to uh, what you're used to.
1: That's right. Situation normal, and thankfully, it was, a, it was not 160 degrees in Austin at that point as it is now, so...
0: Well, I can't complain. I'm about 80 degrees. I would like a little warmer weather, but you're at 106. So, I, You know what? I'll, I'll take mine.
2: Virtuous. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right, Eric, let me ask you the million dollar question here or billion dollar
2: question. No, I'm just kidding. How did you guys <laughs> all meet? Uh, that's a great question. So the three co-founders uh, all work together at a company called Rackspace. And um, you know, we had worked on OpenStack back in the day. This is sort of like circa 2010 and 2015. We had worked on OpenStack trying to create the open source public cloud. And uh, the company decided to sort of pivot a little bit and diversify. And we ended up moving into managed sort of hyperscale public clouds. And uh, Chris Cochran, Chris Keel, and myself were the three co founders inside of Rackspace to start that business. So we had the good fortune of getting to sort of work together, starting something new and seeing each other's skills and learning to sort of work together. And so uh, when the opportunity kind of arose, you know, years later to, to start a company, um, you know, we, we'd already been through the trenches together through through starting something new. And it, it was, uh, you know, there's, there's no two other people I'd rather uh, be working together with than, these, than the two Chris's.
0: Chris, let me ask you the question. Who came up with the idea for ProsperOps? How did you guys come up with this idea?
1: Oh, well, it's absolutely Chris and Eric. Uh, They're brilliant technologists. And, you know, we spent a lot of time back at Rackspace um, serving customers. And, you know, Rackspace's sort of modus operandi was using humans, arming them with great technology and tools and putting them to work to help customers achieve some outcome. And, uh, you know, that's a great strategy. And it did a lot of great work for customers uh, using, you know, AWS or many of the different clouds. Um, but ultimately, some problems actually uh, can be better solved with algorithms. And you know, the idea that we had when we started ProsperOps was how do you use technology, how to use algorithms to achieve outcomes uh, that humans, uh, you know, couldn't do as well. But, but maybe more importantly, unlock them to go do things where they were just best in class and were, were amazing. And I think Eric and Chris understood that, saw that. And uh, that was the company that we started back in 2018. And I have been happy to be in the back seat along for the ride uh, since that time.
0: Eric, can you tell me the exact moment that you guys were thinking about and how you thought of the idea of ProsperOps and the solution that you're trying to solve?
2: Yeah, it has to do with uh, the idea of a robo advisor in the personal investing space. Uh, you know, companies have emerged like Betterment, who's actually a public publicly rep- referenceable customer virus, a uh, Wealthfront, etc. That uh, instead of using human advisors to manage money for customers, they implement uh, algorithms and uh, use computer science to effectively automate the investing strategy and uh, the impetus for the idea for ProsperOps was can you take that same concept of robo advising and apply it to cloud spend right how do you have customers answer some questions configure some settings and rather than the the bulk of the work be on the shoulders of the finops practitioner how do you transition that to algorithms and automation and allow that to actually do uh, the work to uh, you know achieve the savings outcome so um, in fact, in the early days, one of our, our early tagline ideas was the robo-advisor for cloud. What we found in our testing is that half the people don't know what a robo-advisor is, so we had to actually abandon that tagline and move on to something else. So these are the things you you try and learn and, and uh, iterate on.
0: Those are certain things that you actually test out in the market. Eric, I thought you were going to tell me that you were at a barbecue joint with Chris over some ribs, and you guys came up with this idea of, Wow, we could save a bunch of money on these ribs. What about if we did it within the cloud environment? Uh,
2: there's been plenty of barbecue uh, that's been woven into our story. Uh, I can remember the three founders meeting at, a, uh, at Cooper's Barbecue and uh, spending half a day there really thinking through some pretty critical strategic decisions we were making. So uh, we can definitely weave in barbecue in the story. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, that wasn't part of the, the founding uh, idea.
1: But on that day, we did need office space. And the table at Cooper's was free all day. And so, you know, you use what you got.
2: Yeah.
0: Hey, you know what? When you're a startup, you're a little frugal on some things, you go out to eat and you make it a working environment and you get a lot of work done. Chris, let me ask you, really, did you think that this would be part of a cloud, a personal cloud or FinOps journey? Uh, For, for me
1: individually, you know, I think... You know, I think at the time when we started, it was 2018 and FinOps, I think, as a discipline was just getting started. What was sort of interesting to me personally um, was was largely getting to work with Eric and Chris on solving some hard problems. Um, We we had been in the AWS ecosystem long enough to know that people needed help, that, you know, as good as AWS is, and it's amazing, um, it was a lot, even for really good people to be able to get everything done. And so, you know, when Chris and Eric sort of understood that there was ways technology could go and accelerate humans and unlock them to do more things, uh, I just saw it as a very interesting problem. And over time, I think as we were growing up, the FinOps discipline was maturing, et cetera, and it's been sort of a fun ride. And what I really like is it's great to play in a space where there's a community that's formed, where people see FinOps as sort of their vocation and a discipline that they want to become experts in. And the company has been able to sort of grow during that entire pattern. And that's been sort of cool to watch individually, but then also like with the community at large.
0: Eric, let me ask you the same question. Back in 2018, when you started Prosper Ops, did you envision that this would be part of your FinOps journey, that it was ultimately going
2: to play a huge part as it does now? You know, like Chris said, when we started, FinOps wasn't even a concept really, right? There was this idea of, of cost management and we, we actually named the company ProsperOps because we had this idea of FinOps and, and we started calling it that even though it, it wasn't nearly the, the term that is used today. And DevOps, this idea of, of sort of automation and ProsperOps kind of, we saw being the bridge between uh, DevOps and, and FinOps. So that, that's kind of where the name came from. But, you know, when you start a company, you have an idea, but you have no idea if you can actually it's going to work. You have no idea if you can build it and you know people are going to buy your product and and you do it because you you see it in your mind's eye and and you believe that that this is valuable for customers. And so I think, you know, conceptually we wouldn't have have started the company if we didn't think it was going to be successful uh, and had a chance. But um, you know, when you actually sort of hit milestones and realize certain goals. Uh, it, it's in some ways it, it, it's it's marvelous when that happens because you know as each kind of milestone along the way it's hard to see the next milestone you don't know how you're going to get there and then you hit it and uh, you know you're amazed and so you know it's just been it's been a great journey and and um, you know very thankful
0: Eric let me ask you the billion dollar question what is the differentiating factor of Prosperops versus the others that are out
2: there. Um, you know, I think well, I think there's there's two answers to that question. I think one is you've got traditional cost optimization tools which are visibility based. and so their their, their goal and, and we kind of refer to these as the V1 tools, you know that the cloud management platforms, and they're uh, you know very helpful in terms of giving you, you know tens, dozens, hundreds of reports, to help give you visibility into your spend, but they don't actually um, automate or execute anything on your behalf to achieve savings outcomes, right? They might give you some recommendations, uh, but they don't actually do work and deliver a savings outcome. And so what makes us different from a lot of the, the cost management tools is that when you actually subscribe to ProsperOps, we are taking that work off your plate And our software is executing on your behalf to deliver savings outcomes. And so, you know, the 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 FinOps is such a large domain. There's so much work to do. If we can take a piece of that off your plate, use algorithms to achieve outcomes better than than any human could achieve, free you up to go focus on other parts of the the FinOps problem space. I think that's one of the big things that makes us different. I think for other competitors in the automation space. you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of sort of, uh, I call it AI washing going on right now, where because AI is such a hot topic, uh, you know, everyone's talking about AI, AI, AI. And, and what we what we find, unfortunately, because, you know, as, as we win customers kind of away from our competitors, we can see the, the results of of what their platform has done. We can see lots of signs of lack of automation Um, you know, computers do things in a way that's incredibly repeatable. Um, and and so unfortunately there's a lot of, a lot of, um, promises being made about, about AI and automation that unfortunately behind the scenes are just not, you know, what, what is the reality. And so I I think the fact that we, uh, you know, we're, we're a true AI automation platform, uh, you know, is, is another differentiator.
0: Eric, you took the words right out of my mouth. Uh the true AI platform that actually is not humans behind it doing the work, but the AI that's built into that. Chris, did you ever think back in 2018 that you would end up to where you are now relatively so quickly?
1: Uh, no. Look, when you start, uh, you know, I've came from I w I've spent a large part of my uh, career in large companies, uh, but I've been working my way down into smaller and smaller entities. But when you finally sort of get the chance to start, you know everything in front of you is a blank page. It's exciting, but it's also pretty scary. And you know, I think along the way, uh, you know, you just start one step at a time. Not to be too cliche, cliche, but you know, Eric and I were just together earlier today, and I had made the comment, you know, when we started off and we got to our first million ARR, you'd say. There's no way we're gonna to get to five. I can't see it, and then you get to five, and you go. There's no way we're gonna to get to ten, and then you do it, and then you just keep going. And I think about it just sort of iterative along the way. Um, but it's been a joy. It's got its ups and downs, as you could imagine. But um, no, you, you you start and you say, Do I know that there's a problem to be solved? Is it causing customers pain? And am I teaming up with folks that uh, that I think are the best in the world? And I think Eric and Chris. Are some of the best folks in the world at what we do, so I felt like I was, you know, handed a deck full of face cards. Uh, but, but you know, obviously, every little bit, uh, you know, you just you can't ever see it until you hit it, and then you go to the next the next milestone.
2: So, Chris, you're saying that they stacked a deck for you?
1: That's what I think.
2: If we're the face cards. Then Cochran is the ace. So uh, feelings mutual. There you go. Make a
0: complete deck, Eric. Same question for you. Back in 2018, did you envision that you would be where you're at in 2023 at one billion in compute
2: spend under management? It's hard to believe now, much less back in 2018. So uh, you know, like like Chris said, you you have an idea. Uh, you know, I think I knew, I knew that that this was going to be valuable uh, because we saw the pain. And we saw the results that, you know, arguably what we were, what we were doing, um, you know, back at Rackspace was, uh, you know, incredible. Like we were, we were, we had some of the best people in the world. We had some of the best technology at the time, third party things that we had built. Uh, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, we, we felt like there was a, a way to rethink it and achieve something that was sort of a step function Change that was different than anything that existed and and um, you know, I just sort of knew at the time that this is something that that if we could get it right uh, was going to be ex- extremely valuable, but you just don't know what that can look like and so the idea of a billion dollars of uh, compute under management is it's still hard for me to get my head around e- even even today.
0: I'm sure it is
2: everybody real
0: quick today's topic is Prosperops journey to 1 billion in AWS compute spend under management. We're talking with the three co-founders Chris Keel who's unable to make it but we have Chris Cochran and Eric Carlin joining us. Now, Chris, let me ask you the question and this is going to be an understanding for the audience. 1 billion dollars in AWS compute under management. Really, what does that mean from the sound of it? It sounds like an astronomical, you know, amount that I don't think I could ever see or visualize.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, the way that we tend to think about it is, you know, on the other end of the service we provide, you know, our customers who are trying to figure out ways to get their business moving forward faster, doing more, et cetera. So, you know, I think about the billion dollars as more just a proxy for, uh, for you know, the opportunity that's out there. Uh, and, and, you know, there's more work to do, right? I mean, AWS is, you know, climbing towards 100 billion. And, you know, we know that there's more, uh, you know, needs out there. And so, you know, for us, I think it's great. We're going to celebrate it. But at the end of the day, you know, there's there's more work to be done and uh, there's there's more people that need help out there. And we want to try to get to as many of those folks as possible.
0: Eric, you were talking about you couldn't see like one million in savings for customers, right now you're at one billion and the achievement there. What does that mean to you?
2: Um, again, it, it's it's even hard to wrap your head around like a billion is one with nine zeros behind it uh and so you know to, to me you don't achieve that I- unless you have um you know customers that just trust you and that you know you've been able to deliver value to consistently uh that that uh you know remain customers and so you know I, i'm just thankful to our customers you know, for trusting us, some of our early customers for giving us a chance. You know, I can still remember our very first customer that said, let's do it. And I I was almost like, really? Like somebody actually wants to pay us money. And so uh, (laughs) you have faith, you do all this work, you build it, you believe it's going to be valuable. uh, But when people actually, you know, subscribe and you can deliver value and continue to deliver value, um, you know i'm just thankful uh you know to our customers for for trusting us uh you know with their with their cloud spend uh so that we can you know we can help help optimize it for them
0: eric i feel the same way when i'm like wait really you're going to pay me money to do this i love doing this this is awesome let's keep doing it and that shows true customer obsession and passion for what you're doing chris let me ask you a question is Really, in managing one billion, you've collectively saved hundreds of AWS organizations over five hundred and fifty million dollars. First of all, wow, that's that's a number that I can't envision myself on the amount of savings. But what is ProsperOps doing with that one billion to generate the massive savings to customers?
1: Oh well, you know, for there's lots of different types of ways to optimize the cloud. And to be candid, you know, the companies that are just crushing it are uh, dividing and conquering, and doing all things. So if you're, you know, if you're doing many companies are doing usage optimization and finding ways to use the right things. We're helping them deliver rate optimization so that for whatever they use, they pay the best price. And many companies are engaging, you know, the cloud providers directly and, you know, generating, you know, enterprise discount programs or private pricing agreements that, you know, provide additional savings. And so, you know, the way that we tend to think about it is that's a lot of work to do the companies that are most successful in using the cloud are doing all three concurrently. And our job is to focus today on that middle one, rate optimization, and how do we use technology to basically take it off their plate, allow them to focus on usage optimization or any of the contract work they have to do directly with AWS. But we'll handle the rate optimization piece. And no matter what the customer does, no matter if they're spinning things up or spinning things down, our service is just up. Op- sort of passively watching behind the scenes. And as things change, adapting their commitment portfolio to generate the best amount of discounts that are possible at that moment. And if something changes five minutes later, we'll adapt and generate savings on on that new environment. And so that's really how we think about like when the customers are doing great, is when we're doing our part that frees them to solve some of the other parts of the optimization problem set that they might not get to otherwise.
0: Nice. Eric, let's talk a little bit about ProsperOps and your capabilities. What is the capability of ProsperOps? So you do like handling RIs, savings
2: plans. What's your what's your capabilities to help customers out? Yeah, I mean you pretty much just just nail it there. So in the, in the world of uh, AWS, which is our current focus today, um, you know there is this world of usage optimization, which might be things like right sizing. It's basically using less stuff. And then the world of uh, rate optimization, which is making sure you're paying the best price possible for the things you are using, and so we're focused on that rate optimization space of, of RIs and savings plans, and um, you know that's a that's a, a complex world, particularly when you've got a a very dynamic uh, environment as the cloud is increasingly becoming more and more dynamic. This is sort of what makes it difficult for a human with a report and a recommendation tool to actually sort of achieve a, a really world-class outcome. It's, it's not that humans aren't smart, it's just that the cloud is so complex and so dynamic. It really necessitates uh, a system that is watching in real time. So we, we ingest real-time telemetry from our, uh, our, our customers. We're continually checkpointing that and we're, we're, we're basically building a picture of what their environment looks like. And then we look at the RI and savings plan portfolio and we say, can this be adapted at this exact moment in time to optimize cost. And if so, it's adapted. And then we just do that over and over and over again, you know, 24 hours a day, 365 uh, days a year. And so, you know, if an auto auto scaling group, you know, uh, changes in the middle of the night at 2 a.m., you like our platform will adapt, um, you know, while our customers can happily uh, and soundly sleep at night, so.
0: So that they can focus on what matters to them. Eric, talk to me really quickly about ESR, the effective savings rate, because I know you're really passionate about it. There's a website link that I'll put in the description below, but I want to
2: educate our audience on the ESR. Yep. So, uh, you know, when we, when we started ProsperOps, we said, you know, we're going to try to convince people that our platform can do a better job. You know, how do we make this a quantitative discussion with data versus a qualitative discussion. And at the time, uh, there was no metric that basically allowed you to measure the effectiveness of your rate optimization efforts, right? So a lot of the clouds will use metrics like utilization and coverage as a way to describe you know, how much of your spend is covered or how much of your commitments are actually generating discounts. But really, at the end of the day, what people care about is, well, how much did I save, right? And so nothing existed. And we said we, we have to have a way, an objective way that's not gameable, uh, that allows you to measure when all is said and done. And, and we measure it net of our, uh, what we call our savings share charge. We take a percent of savings. Um, but at the end of the day, if you create an apples to apples comparison, you know, which option generates the highest effective savings rate. And um, you know, a a lot of times, you know, sales discussions with vendors um, you know, can 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 be subjective. And sort of the wonderful thing about FinOps is that it's it's quantifiable. And our sales process is largely us running a savings analysis for customers, overlaying our algorithms on top of their data and presenting them with data that says you know, if you subscribed, you're doing a great job today. But, you know, ProsperBot, which is kind of what we uh, loosely refer to our, our service as, you know, can can achieve something that, excuse me, net of our charge um, has a higher effective savings rate. And so you can think of it as like the ROI of cloud savings, just like in the investing world, you might measure two different options and say which one delivers the, ha- the higher ROI. You can think of ESR as as the ROI of cloud savings.
0: Chris, I'm gonna let you jump in and kind of comment on the ESR. What, the last time I had a conversation with Eric, he educated me on ESR. I actually went through and promoted the website and the link because the value that I see out of it doesn't come from a prosperous perspective. It, it comes from an education. It comes from the knowledge, but it's not like you're selling something. You're like, hey, this is how the metric should be valued at it. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, look, it's it's just math. So the definition, the equation, it's not ours. It's just, as Eric said, it's ungameable numbers out of the AWS system of record, where we're just calculating an ROI. And, you know, earlier you had asked Eric about differentiation. I think one of the things that we hang our hat on is that we focus on our customers' ESR as the core measure for what we're doing, because at the end of the day, that's what they care about. So, If we can do things that consistently raise their ESR, net of our charge, and we can compare that to the ESR that they were generating while they were doing it on their own, and you can see that there is actually quantifiable dollars, that means that customer, not only do they get the time back, but the incremental dollars that are saved are dollars that they can reinvest in other projects that they otherwise wouldn't be able to fund. And so everything we do is oriented around how do we get that ESR as high as possible? And how do we keep moving it up and to the right over time?
0: Chris, let me ask you, how do you educate customers on ESR? Say I'm a new customer coming in, right? I never even thought of ESR. I never thought of the value. Is that done within ProsperOps? Do you do a little education thing and like here's you can visualize your current, what you're doing. Here's what we're able to do and achieve. And here's your ESR and the value of understanding it.
1: Yep. We, uh, we do it a couple different ways. Number one, uh, other players and vendors in the space have adopted ESR, which we think is outstanding. The FinOps Foundation has been involved with it, and we want to continue to put it out there. Once again, it's not ours. It's just math, but it ultimately tells you as a customer all the things you need to know. So when we start our sales process, we obviously want to make sure that we're grounded in data. We start and talk about the ESR concept, and then we say, let's move it out of the conceptual into the real and the way we do that is we'll generate a savings analysis on your behalf and it'll take literally a couple of hours and we can review it with you and as part of that you can learn the concept and see how it translates into actual numbers to really drive it home and that's all part of the journey uh, that we go on with our customers and our customers are awesome they're all generally sophisticated FinOps practitioners so they come to the discussion with a lot of knowledge. And what we try to do is show them, if they're not familiar with ESR, how they can take their existing heuristics, tweak them a bit and gain a whole new understanding of what performance could be and should be uh, so that we can get them motivated about saying, let's go get it, let's go make it happen. And then we could focus on other items that take our company forward.
0: Eric, Chris mentioned that the FinOps Foundation has adopted the ESR. How does it make you feel when others are adopting something that you've put a lot of thought into and and educating people
2: around what ESR and what it means? Yeah, so they they are in the process of embracing effective savings rate. In fact, just a small plug for anyone who's going to be at FinOps X, which is the FinOps Foundation Conference. I'm I'm actually giving a talk on effective savings rate, uh, and there's a working group That is in the process of sort of embracing ESR and and would love for anybody who's interested uh, to join that. But, uh, you know, I I think it's, again, we don't view this as anything, Chris Chris said this before, it's just math, right? Like ProsperOps created effective savings rate, but it's just math. And in my view, every organization, whether you're a ProsperOps customer or not, you should know your effective savings rate. Um, just like anybody who's investing money, you should know what your return is. Otherwise, you have no way to quantify the effectiveness of your efforts. And so it's, a, it's an incredibly beneficial metric for the industry at large. Um, it's a completely cloud agnostic metric. And so while we today are supporting AWS, There's nothing unique to AWS about this metric. You can measure ESR on Google, you can measure ESR on Azure. Um, And so, you know, we think this is a metric that is useful in a sense of assessing your relative savings performance, which for us is important as a automated service in sort of making the case. Uh, But apart from that, it's just useful for the industry at large uh, and for folks to understand, you know, where, what their effective savings rate is. And it's the cool thing too, is it's benchmarkable. And so, you know, part of us donating this to the FinOps Foundation is also submitting all of our benchmarking data. So you can know if you're achieving a 30% effective savings rate, well, is that is that an A plus? Is that a B minus? Is that a D? How do you know? Um, you know, effective savings rate allows you to not only understand your savings rate, but then say, okay, where, does, where do I sit relative to Sort of peers uh, in the industry, and you know how do I continue to push that higher? Uh, you know if, if there's you know m- more more to be had.
0: Well, Eric, you were talking about FinOps X, and you have a session that's happening Wednesday at two thirty at FinOps X. Though it kicks off on the twenty seventh, I encourage everybody sign up for Eric's session. Don't worry, I'm sure it's going to be recorded and shared later. There's also a Prosper Ops booth. Eric, can you share some of the features
2: that you're working on or that you just released? Uh, well, I can't reveal what we're working on, but uh, I can tell you some of the recent features, maybe, that we've launched. Uh, and so, uh, just to give you a couple of examples of some recent launches, uh, one feature we recently launched is called um, Advanced Cyclical Optimization Support. And so, you know, I mentioned earlier that the cloud is just more and more dynamic. And generally, what we find is that uh, customers, apart from an automated solution that can continually evaluate and adapt, end up covering, when you have cyclical usage, they end up covering at the trough of usage. And the actual optimal savings point is higher than the trough. And it takes a lot of complex sort of math and forecasting, et cetera, to figure out that point and continually maintain it. And so uh, this is an interesting feature that we launched completely uh, free for our existing customers, no extra charge. Uh, but it it just, you know, increases their effective savings rate because it finds the more optimal um, coverage point. Uh, and that's just an example of us working to continually drive effective savings rate higher and higher and, you know, create that um, that gap that exists between sort of DIY approaches versus what a sophisticated algorithmic automated solution can achieve. Uh, one other feature I'll mention is something we call dynamic prepay amortization tracking, uh, Dpat for short. but um, you know a lot of our customers are uh, prepaying their commitments. Uh, and so if you prepay Amazon gives you an incremental discount. this is also another way to drive effective savings rates higher. But in a very dynamic world of spend where our service is you know changing commitments and, and moving them around, it becomes very difficult for finance and accounting teams to properly uh, amortize their prepayments. And so this became a, a problem that no other solution on the market is, is really solving. And so our customer said, you know, this is something that, that would be valuable um, if we had a solution to. So we, we, we built uh, a capability in our platform that, um, you know, allows our customer uh, accounting and finance teams to simply log in. At the end of the month, we track all of that and we show them, uh, you know, how their prepayment uh, is amortized over time. And we have, you know, multiple customers today that use that to close their monthly books. And so that's just a, a taste of some of the, the recent features that we've uh, launched for our customers.
0: All right, Eric, thank you for the insight on some of the recent features that you launched. Hi, everybody. My name's John Meyer, and you're watching the John Meyer Podcast. Today's topic is ProsperOps, the journey to $1 billion in AWS compute spend under management. We're talking with the three co-founders. Now, Chris Gill could not make it, but we're going to give them a shout-out in this. We're talking with Chris Cochran and Eric Carlin. Now, Chris, I want to wrap things up and talk about your channel partner program. Recently, I had the pleasure of working hand-in-hand with Joe Henderson on a very collaborative, creative video, which was really fun around the Rocky theme with your team and announcing your expansion of the partner program. It sounds like there's a massive opportunity for cloud partners. What technology partners, resellers, MSPs, and consultants can they do with ProsperOps?
1: Yeah, we help, uh, we, we serve many uh, AWS distributors, resellers, managed service providers, and even consultants. And we love to partner. Uh, we find, in general, that you know a lot of those uh, service providers end up solving sort of a very broad set of problems for our customers, and we're always very complimentary because we slide right into that sort of automated rate optimization spot that complements all the other things that they do uh, for customers. But you know, one of the things that we learned back in our prior life was that when you're a service provider and you're delivering your value to end customers, many cases humans can be the hardest thing to scale in the equation. Even if you're really good at hiring, even if you're really good at training, even really if you're arming them with tools, uh, they're always hard to scale and you're always trying to deliver a very consistent level of quality. And one of the benefits with an automated service like us being used by MSP, et cetera, is that they get this automated delivery. It's infinitely scalable. It delivers a very consistent sort of optimization outcome to customers and allows our partners to focus on other things that they do very well. So we love to work with folks and, uh, and we can add a lot of value together for our customers. And I'm glad you filmed that video with Joe uh, on the Rocky montage, it was awesome.
0: I absolutely love doing that video. Joe came up with the idea and we just ran with it. Thankfully, him and I are relatively close to each other. We went down to Philly and went to the all the famous Rocky thing. If you haven't seen it, don't worry. The link will be in the description. You got to go to prosperops.com forward slash partners for more information. Eric, you know, I'm thinking startups always have an interesting story to tell. Do
2: you have one that you could share with us? Yeah, there's there's one that that always comes to mind, and, and I think you're right. Startups all tend to have uh, just a story, and uh, for me, it was uh, you know I mentioned earlier our very first customer, that you know we, I was just amazed that someone was going to pay us. But uh, a, a little bit later, we landed our first kind of big customer, uh, and you know uh, in the early days of startups, you know you're 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 building the plane sort of in in real time as you're going, and and so our first big customer, you know, hit some edge cases and pushed us in ways that we we weren't completely ready for. And I remember that happened when I was visiting my brother who lives in central Virginia, uh, who didn't have, you know, great internet at the time. And so uh, I I just remember being up uh, working late uh, and he didn't have good internet. So I had to go to McDonald's uh, in Lynchburg, Virginia, working at McDonald's on their Wi-Fi until they closed at 11, and they're, they're mopping the floors, and I'm still working on McDonald's Wi-Fi. And finally, they kicked me out at midnight. I went back to my brother's house, uh, went to his basement, and tethered my laptop to my phone. I had one bar, and I remember working until I think it was 4 o'clock in the morning. My brother has, like, five cats that all sleep in the basement. So cats are, like, walking on my shoulders and walking on my laptop, and I'm, I'm working – in the basement with these five cats around me, tethered to my phone in central Virginia with one bar so we could get this customer online, uh, you know, and, and start saving them money. And so, um, you know, I don't know, you never, every startup's gonna have some moment like that where it's it's uh, it just sticks in your mind as, as part of the journey. So that, Carlin, that's- Harlan.
1: if we hit a billion in AWS compute usage under management, I think we're gonna spring to move you up from that uh, dial up to a, to a full T1, see where it goes. You deserve it, man.
2: Yes, my brother, I'll, uh, I'll upgrade. My brother has since upgraded his internet, but at the time it was, uh, it was rough. <laughs> True customer obsession and the journey
0: to it. So Eric, I wanna end it with you and I wanna know what's next for ProsperOps.
2: Where are you guys going? What events are happening? Yeah, look, I think John, the way that I think about what's next for ProsperOps is really taking a step back and thinking about the problem that exists today, right? So um, if you look at the three big public clouds, right? AWS is about an $80 billion run rate. Uh, Azure is about 60. Google's about 30. So altogether, that's about $170 billion a year growing to, you know, half a trillion to a trillion dollars. And it's estimated that about 30% of all cloud spend is waste. That is um, there's inefficiency that exists somewhere in customers' use of cloud. And of course, that's not intentional. Uh, but in the course of you know all of the agility and all of the power that exists, uh, there is inefficiency. And traditional solutions are not effective at removing that waste. If it was, the waste wouldn't exist. And so to really remove that waste requires automation. It requires complex algorithms. Um, and, you know, our mission is really one of, you know, public cloud waste removal. And, you know, we've attacked sort of a specific problem set today, uh, that we think is kind of the biggest, you know, lever that you can pull right now in, in removing waste, but there's a lot more to do in this space. And so, you know, if I think about what's next for ProsperOps, it's really about, um, you know, continuing to innovate in ways that our customers uh, will, our platform will remove uh, more and more inefficiency, more and more waste so that uh, they can keep more money and use that to, you know, invest in in further projects uh, or whatever, you know, they, they want to do with those funds.
0: Chris, I got to thank you so much for joining the show.
1: John, it's a pleasure to be here. It's good to see you again.
2: Yeah, likewise. Eric, thank you so much for joining the show. Yeah, same. Still looking forward to getting some barbecue in Austin. So
0: Every day my hunger grows more and more for that barbecue. We'll have to all get together and have a nice sit down over some ribs. I'm already thinking about those beef ribs. Yeah, I got to stop talking about it. I'm, I'm getting a little hungry. All right, everybody. My name's John Meyer, and you've been watching the John Meyer podcast. Today's topic was ProsperOps, the journey to $1 billion in AWS compute spend under management. Now, we've been talking with the three co-founders. Now, Chris Keel couldn't join us today, but we have Chris Cochran and Eric Carlin joining us. Don't forget to hit that like, subscribe, and notify because guess what? We're out of here.